He's here. Lord, father is here. The king, my lady. Hey everybody, welcome back to the Lug It Out Podcast. This is your host, Elias Roush. This podcast is sponsored by EliasRoushMedia.com, photo, video, digital media production. Today we are discussing The Northman. The Northman in, is a 2022 American epic historical fiction film directed by Robert Eggers. Most cinematic uh, heads as myself uh, are aware of Robert Edgar's uh, entry into the uh, cinematic verse, I guess. Basically, everyone knows him from The Vich, um, one of his, uh, I think that was his directorial debut, and then went on to completing one of our favorite movies, The Lighthouse, with uh, Willem Dafoe and Robert Pattinson. And so, Given those two uh, pretty major uh, pieces of filmography in his library, I would say that The Northman is uh, just right up there with some of my favorite filmography coming from specifically Robert Eggers. But um, he makes movies that a lot of people don't make these days. He, he makes uh, what feels like high budget art house movies that are a little bit uncanny, a little bit surreal, seem very technically challenging to maintain from behind the camera. Um, basically what he's doing is unlike most directors and most studios are, uh, approving these days. And that's why I like his work. Um, so the Northman is his, uh, next film in the lineup of uh, interesting um, pieces of cinematography, uh, 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 filmography, sorry. And um, it does have beautiful cinematography in it. Let me talk a little bit about it. Uh, the Northman is directed by Robert Edgers, who co-wrote the screenplay with Shijorn. And I, I apologize for all of the uh, probably mispronunciations with, with regards to the names, the places, the writers, there's a lot of, uh, I think it's uh, Irish uh, or Swedish names that I'm a little bit uh, European, to say the least, that I'm a little bit unsure about. So just bear with me with the pronunciations of these. So, um, yeah, it is uh, based on the legend of Amalith, the or Amalith. The film stars uh, Alexander Skarsgård, who's also producer. Um, it stars Nicole Kidman, Klaus Bang, um, Anya Taylor-Joy, Ethan Hawke, Bjork, and Willem Dafoe. The plot follows Amalith, a Viking prince who sets out on a quest to avenge his father. I kind of want to be a little bit vague about what exactly he's avenging because I wasn't quite sure what this movie was going to be about. Now, anybody that has seen Hamlet or is aware of Hamlet or has seen um, The Lion King, it's essentially the same plot. Um, some, you know, main character is done wrong, so he's set out on a journey. Um, very much in the Count of Monte Cristo style um, to go out and avenge, um, quote-unquote avenge, for his family. So Skarsgård wanted to make a Viking film for several years, and he is a freaking brute in this. He is cut, he's ripped, he's got the muscles, he looks like the freaking man. He looks like pretty much anybody that would want to get in the best shape of their life. Um, that's exactly what he looks like in this. He is uh, a monstrosity of a beast in this. Um, so he is perfect to play uh, a Viking. Um, so he's wanted to make a Viking film for several years. Edgar's decided to make the film, decided to make the film his third project after the pair met to discuss possible collaborations. Much of the cast joined in October 2019 and filming took place from August to December 2020 in locations throughout Ireland. Um, 
on a 70 to 90 million dollar budget i think it was probably about 90 million dollars which is really high for a quote-unquote indie production but kind of low for uh major motion pictures these days so there's this kind of sweet spot that they were trying to hit for saying it's 70 million you know sounds a little bit better i think the fact is um this movie as of right now it's been out since uh march 28th um Sorry, it's been out since April 22nd in the States. It's been out since March 28th in Stockholm, which was the premiere of 2022. Um, it's not doing phenomenal in the box office, but I will say that once this hits streaming, I think it's going to take off um, in ways they couldn't imagine. I, I really do feel like this is one of the most, I don't want to say gritty, but I want to say realistic takes on uh, being a Viking back in the day, and says it specifically in AD eighteen ninety five. Sorry, and I not eighteen ninety five, eight ninety five. Um, so it's not even year one thousand. Um, but yeah, so it is. Uh, it's people are gonna say it's a diamond in the rough for people that are unconventional uh, moviegoers. I think that. Uh, the the trailers kind of sell it as this high action flick with some surreal visualizations on it and i don't necessarily disagree with that but there is long periods in the middle of this movie where it is much more of a psychological thinker much more surreal very much much more robert edgars than um like his former films which were a little bit more of a slow burn so The Northman had its world premiere in Stockholm at Rigoletto Cinema and, uh, on March 28th, 2022. It began theatrical release in some countries on April, uh, April 13th and it was released theatrically in the States on April 22nd. The film received critical acclaim with particular praise aiming at its direction, production values, and the performances of the cast and has grossed $42 million dollars uh, 42 and a half million dollars worldwide which most people would say is uh relatively a bomb but there was tons and tons of movies back in the day that are now considered some of uh cinema's highest quality films um i think some of stanley kubrick's stuff back in the day was kind of ridiculed in the same vein um but uh, I will say Robert Eggers delivers the fire. He delivers an amazing cinematic performance, the performances from top to bottom of all of the actors, from Alexander Skarsgård being a fucking beast to expressing some of his uh, more lighter, lighthearted emotions, lighthearted emotions um, later in the movie, Nicole Kidman gives one of her best performances I've seen in years. And I've been watching her since, uh, with a critical eye since at least the beginning of big little lies, which was kind of mid 2020, 2010s. And, uh, I've seen her in several things and never seen her like this. Uh, Anya Taylor-Joy, obviously she was from The Vich. Um, I will say she gets a little bit of the short shrift in this uh, with regards of character development and how she's her character is portrayed. She is kind of, quote-unquote, the love interest of the movie. Um, I think that some of her stuff could have been improved. It's not nothing that she did, but I think in the writing, they kind of force her into the position of the love interest. But I still think she gives a really stellar performance. Ethan Hawke, he can't do any wrong. I mean, it's it's Ethan Hawke. I mean, everything he's in, he gives 110%. Um, and of course, Willem Dafoe and Bajor. Um, so um, edited by uh, Louise Ford, music by Ro Robin Corlans and Sebastian Gainsborough. Um, it is distributed by Focus Features. And um, yeah, like I said, on a 70 to $90 million budget, I think they said the $90 million was the, the final amount. But the thing is, the um, tax credits that came back to them were uh, brought them back to about $70 million. But like I said, it feels much more of an art house type feel of a movie it's very unconventional in the way that it's uh 
It's presented lots of long takes from the technical perspective. Uh, Jeff Kanata on the Slash Film cast talked about it, how nothing that Robert Edgers does looks easy, but he makes it look easy, and it makes it look like there is story upon story that is um, being layered on top of each other. Um, I think it's the same cinematographer, uh, Jaron Balanchki, I believe, is the same uh, cinematographer as uh, The Lighthouse and uh, and The Vich. So he's bringing back that same style. And he's going to uh, be the cinematographer for M. Night Shyamalan's uh, Knock at the Cabin in 2023. So I'll be looking for that as well. Um, but yeah, it looks like this cinematographer is Robert Edgar's kind of guy. And like I said earlier the the technicals of this movie everything looks like it's working on super high cylinders like it, it's working with some of top-notch acting top-notch directing top-notch production values this looks amazing it's one of the most beautiful films i've seen and a lot of people are kind of comparing it to the same aesthetic as uh the green knight and i really liked the aesthetic of the green knight i will say the pacing w was a little bit uh a little bit off for me with the green knight but i still enjoyed the hell out of the experience of the green knight and uh this one's a little bit more action filled action packed just with the way that it's uh presented like i said uh, runtime is 100, 137 minutes which puts it uh, about two hours two and a, two hours 15 two hours and 20 minutes something like that um so yeah, it's it is lengthy, but I it's one of the few films I would want to continue watching. Um, I I think that, like I said, all of the cylinders are are running, are are going at high speeds. It feels like, um, like I said, a diamond in the rough. It's kind of like I wasn't expecting it. I didn't watch any of the marketing for it. I just knew I was going to see the next Robert Edgar's film. I mean, after the Lighthouse, it just felt very apparent that he is. Uh, he's a director you oh, you need to keep an eye on because he's always going to shoot um, his sets and his and his actors in the most interesting way possible. <clears throat> so, um, you know, with saying that, it is the story of uh, uh, <clears throat> Amalith, and he is out to avenge his family after. You know, he's been wronged. I will say before going into the spoilers and plot synopsis of it that, um, what can I say? Uh, my biggest critique on the movie, like I said, it looks like a million bucks, sounds like a million bucks. The like even from the sound of the crispiness of what the leaves that they're stepping on to the grass that they're in to the volcano that eventually is appears. It everything feels very lived in, um, and extremely difficult to probably shoot around. I'm, I'm be curious to see how they shot the majority of this. I would like to see it behind the scenes. Um, but yeah, it's Regency, uh, New Regency Enterprises, Picture World Pictures, Square Peg, all that good stuff. They are the um, production companies. But um, yeah, I I really enjoy this. Uh, this movie and like I said the biggest critique I would have about this film would probably be um, a little bit of the two-dimensionality of the main character um, he is kind of more or less like an anti-hero um, you know he doesn't exactly do the right thing all the time if even at the beginning you know he's not really that great of a guy but with saying that um, you know, they. I think they flesh out the character enough to kind of give it the quote-unquote revenge story that ump that it needs. Um, and I will say, you know, Anya Taylor Joy's character could have been fleshed out a little bit more to be a little, a little bit more than just the love interest. But I do think that that's where the time was cut. I I heard there was a little bit of studio interference relatively with um, uh, regards of making the film more accessible. Now, with the previous movies that Robert Edgers has produced, I think The Vich was made on like a f under 10... Both The Vich and The Lighthouse, I believe, were created under... What is What was this? 
The Vich was made on a $4 million budget, and the box office, it made $40 million. Now, granted, horror movies generally do pretty well. Um, so he they spent four, made 40 which is really good for his first movie. Second one uh, was $11 million budget, Robert Pattinson, um, Willem Dafoe, and they made back $18 million. So they didn't make back that money that they thought they were going to. And that was distributed, and the production company was also A24 for that. I do think that the ball was a little bit fumbled with uh, the release of The Lighthouse. But I still really enjoy The Lighthouse. And it's available on Amazon Prime, I believe, right now. So absolutely check out his other two movies. Um, so... Let's uh, and, and we have covered both of these movies on um, previous podcasts, so be sure to check out the previous podcast regarding um, Edgar's work. And so, like I said, the the movie is Im- impeccably shot, acting phenomenal, cinematography through the roof. Um, in the story, it's relatively high concept in my opinion you know it's it's a pretty simple revenge story and uh yeah i would like to get into the uh let's get into the plot and the spoilers for the northman by the way i give this movie an eight out of ten um reasoning would mostly be because as, as i stated earlier some of the um machinations of flesh count characters probably could have been improved or realigned to make us understand a couple things better but that's about it my my um my complaints are few in in between um let me know what you thought about the review let me know what you thought about the northman let's get into the spoilers plot in ad 895 that that just seems weird saying a year that's three three uh, numbers. You know, it doesn't even have like a fourth number, like a 1489 or a 1586. You know, this is like 895. This is, this is back in the day. So once again, I said that my pronunciations for a lot of these uh, names are going to be a little bit, uh, a little bit suspect. They ain't going to be great. <laughs> I'll tell you that now. So, um... In AD 895, King Avandali, War Raven, returns to his kingdom on the island of Harvanesi. Like I said, this is going to be a nightmare (laughs) butchered on the names. After his overseas conquest and is reunited with his wife, Queen Gudrun, and his son and heir, Prince Amaloth. To prepare Amaloth uh, to one day be king, the two participate in a spiritual ceremony overseen by Avandali's Avandala's gesture. So, just to kind of give you the idea of who these people are, if you have not seen the movie, the uh, the king is played by Ethan Hawke, his queen is uh, Nicole Kidman, and his son is a young version of Alexander Skarsgård. Um, Alexander Skarsgård plays the older version of uh, Prince Amaloth. So we have Ethan Hawke uh, going down in this like, not not like a dungeon, but in like this far mystical forest place uh, where this like uh, big, uh, maybe not even big, it's like this little cottage kind of thing has like this hole and they go into this and jump in there in this mystical forest house thing. And of course we have crazy ass Willem Dafoe down there. He's playing the gesture in an earlier scene. And then he's also playing kind of like this spiritual masked uh, warrior kind of thing. And his name is Hymir. And they are doing the most bizarre kind of ritual. It's almost like a bar mitzvah for (laughs) Amaloth to kind of become a man. And by doing that, they have to like channel their inner animal and they're like, you know, do you want to be a wolf? Do you want to be a man? Do you want to be a wolf kind of thing? And they're like, ooh, that was kind of a terrible uh, wolf impression. But, you know, 
You know, they are straight up like growling at, on all fours, like, like doing some crazy shit. And um, when this was happening, I was like, oh, my God, this is like going hog wild. And, um, you know, this is straight up Robert Edgar's weirdness for your ass. And uh, I was like, this is where it's going to turn some of the people off that think this is a uh, a conventional story you know the people that walk in thinking that this is going to be a straight 300 style story like this is ireland or something like that um it's not that at all um at least this initial beginning because of uh just kind of how bizarre it is uh with this ceremony but i mean back in the day we they had some crazy types of ceremonies which this was probably pretty tame at least with with not killing anybody you know a lot of ceremonies back in the day they're all about like oh gotta kill somebody to sacrifice them to the gods or something like that you know so um i guess it's good that that didn't happen at least not yet so uh so yeah willem dafoe is like leading this chant of them like you know becoming wolves and men and you know getting on all fours and having to eat this special mushroom shit, make you trip balls and stuff like that. It's kind of like that. Um, so the next morning, the masked warriors led by uh, uh, Arvandali's uh, Della's brother, Folnir, ambush and murder the king. I mean, they were straight up walking out of this like uh, the little house in the forest just just finished up becoming wolves and showing Amaloth how to become a man. He's like, now, son, what you got to do is <laughs> fucking gets like stabbed like immediately or like hit with an arrow like dun, 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 dun. it was almost like, oh, God, this guy's going immediately down. I was like, not not even Hawk, not like this. And so Amaloth is like, oh, my God. And um, Ethan's like, Ethan Hawk, like, you know, getting speared and uh, arrows through the chest, to the neck, to the back. He's like getting shot all over. And he's like on his knees. He's like getting ready to like see who did it. And of course, it's Folnir, his brother. And so, um, yeah. They are led by mask warriors, uh, Volnir, to ambush the and murder the king. And so during this, Volnir somehow lets Amalith like get away a little bit, like maybe twenty five yards away, so he can still see what's happening to his father as he's like being stabbed with you know all these different arrows are coming at him, and then he's like Volnir is like you've been a shite king and i'll now i'll be king kind of thing or something like that i don't know and then ethan hawk's like you won't be legitimate king because you were betraying family and then Folnir goes slices ethan hawk's heads clean off and it's all seen by uh amaloth uh, young uh, young amaloth at like age 10 or something like that and Folnir's like Find and kill the boy! And it's like, oh shit. So it's like instantly, it's like, ding, 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 ding. And it's like all the masked guys that were with uh, Folnir trying to kill the king, or did kill the king, are looking for Amloth now. And he's like running away. He gets like tackled by this one guy. And then like he, uh, Amloth like slices, or like I think he might bite this guy's nose, nose off. And so he's one of the warriors we're following throughout the most of the rest of the, uh, movie and this guy just has like no nose for the rest of it's like oh shit <laughs> so uh amaloth is like running he's like i said he's still 10 years old so he can he's only getting so far so fast and he's like uh, he goes to the uh village and he sees nicole kidman's his mother like taken and uh it is kind of traumatizing a little bit you know like his mom is taken by his uncle and taken advantage like basically taken advantage of she's screaming as she's being taken out of the uh out of the tent or the hut or the house or whatever they're in and i will say um it's not mentioned here in the synopsis but the first time we see nicole kidman and and amaloth kind of uh uh you know interact he busts up in her room the as a young version of himself you know young amaloth does and he's like you know father's home and nicole kidman's like boy if you walk in with out knocking next time i'll wait did you say your father's home <laughs> and so there is like 
internal stuff happening at the beginning that uh, that kind of shows that there might be a little bit more friction between, you know, Amaloth and his uh, and his mother and that Ethan Hawke and Nicole Kidman as king and queen don't exactly have the most uh, quote unquote loving relationship, but it is relatively healthy to our knowledge at this point. And so, um, you know, winding back, so the uncle kills Ethan Hawke, and then, um, you know, Amaloth has to retreat away from his, um, uh, from his home, and uh, yeah, and so he he grabs this boat, and he's rowing this boat, and that's where we hear, you know, uh, I'll avenge you, father, I will save you, mother. And I will kill you for now. It is like the most badass thing I can think of within the movie. I know you're not supposed to like root for the guy because eventually he becomes kind of a terrible guy. I mean, Vikings as a whole are just terrible as is. So, um, you know, especially with today's lens of like looking at them, it's like eh, they're a little problematic. You know, they, you know, kind of rape, pillage, and murder kind of thing. They weren't exactly the the cool guys on the block. So Amaloth is found by uh, by a band of Vikings and raised among them as a berserker. And we see some of these chants they're doing like, you know, they're doing some crazy like, like fire dance and shit with them and whatnot. And, you know, they have these uh, wolf head coverings and they're covered in sheepskin and animals. Sorry, uh, wolf skin, wolf fur or whatever it's called i was gonna say skin but it's more like wolf uh, fur and all that you know for like kind of like making them look like animals a little bit and there is this very much uh paternal instinct to be like the wolf i guess and they're kind of like a wolf pack um and that's kind of where they get their family you know feel from if you can call them family so amaloth is found by a band of vikings and is raised among them as a berserker years later after an, an attack in the land of the Rus, Amaloth encounters a series, Ceres, in the temple of Sivolt. And the Ceres predicts that Amaloth will soon take revenge of Volinir and that his path is intertwined with a maiden king. Um, now, when we are introduced to Alexander Skarsgård's character, this is probably like 20, 30 minutes into the film, maybe not so much, maybe 20 minutes. Um, it's like this long take coming from, I don't know where the fuck the camera comes from, but we are like following this boat for half a second. And then it kind of comes into focus that they are Vikings like on this river and you see them just like taking out other guys like that are just like fishing on the side. They're like, hey, how you doing? Like, like clearly they don't give a shit who they're killing. Um, and they're like all in sync doing this row shit, you know, rowing on the boat um, Viking style. And it comes into focus of Alexander Skarsgård's face. And you're like, holy shit. You're like, is that Alexander Skarsgård from True Blood? Oh, my God. Like, I would love going into this not knowing anybody that's in this. Um, so I was like, dude, this is a sick take. Because Robert Eggers almost has what I call uh, God cam, God camera, where the, the camera just kind of seamlessly is following the main character and eventually turns into a tracking shot where we're following even further. And then we see them as a full Viking crew, like attack, um, I guess the land of Rus and how crazy and scary it would be to just see this like group of fucking grown ass men coming at you full speed, looking like the 300 band uh, coming at you like straight, this is Sparta straight to your ass. I was like, this is insanity. And it's shot beautifully. I love the greens in this movie. I feel like what one thing I really liked about The Green Knight was how the cinematography felt so real and authentic and like nature bound, I guess. And I felt like it really boosted the colors of the mud, the grit, the green, the grass, the blood. You know, it was like all my favorite parts about that. So. Um, you know, after they basically rape, murder, pillage all of these uh, people in there, they set a hut full of women and children, I guess, on fire 
and take a bunch of the women for themselves and are blinding them in the side, like, I guess, so that they can't escape or something like that. But it is just, like, horrific what they are doing. And I do feel like it's one of the most honest takes on Vikings. So that now we're not, like, 100% behind the, you know, the people that we're watching, even though we're following them. So that's one thing I got to say is uh, um, they did show the quote-unquote ugly side of being uh, a Viking. They're not – I don't really think they're glorifying them as much as some people are saying because I, I still look at them as like, you know, these are terrible people even though I'd want to have that body. I'd be like, dude, if I had that body, I'd be a straight ripskies. Um, but I'm sure they're like on zero carbs, never had a sugar in like six months. I'm sure the, the diet for this and the, the training was immensely crazy. Um but yeah, they look like straight up the 300 guys, except maybe slightly less clean. Um, but yeah, so we we follow them. We follow the, the uh, Amaloth at that point. I think as soon as the women and children are being burned, it's kind of like a turn in his head that he's like, maybe I got to do a little bit more with my life. But a lot of the time, the majority of his thinking is, uh, you know, I got to I got to go fucking kill Volnir sometime you know I gotta, that's on my list and a lot of people are comparing Amaleth to uh, Arya Stark on Game of Thrones and this does have a lot of um, Arya Stark Game of Thrones vibes in between with the betrayals the family the time um, it's got all of that kind of baked in it as well and I gotta say even though the the violence is extremely well shot and i do think that it's the it's kind of front-ended and and back-ended with it you know the action was amazing to watch but it's also it's kind of you know a little bit torture pornish but also like i wouldn't say it's glorified i'd say that it's it's competently shot in ways that i think that it's probably you know that's what it would look to have a disembowelment or you know the, the, you know just uh slice a dude in half to get in your nose chopped off or something felt real so Amaloth finds out uh, about his fortune I guess from Fulnir or about Fulnir from the uh, from the Ceres which I believe is played by Bjork um, the famous Swedish singer is she She's Swedish, Irish singer. Let me see if I can get that up real quick. Uh, Icelandic. Okay, so actually the majority of these names are probably Icelandic that I'm, I'm getting wrong. I apologize for that. But anyways, um, so yeah, he finds out what he has to do from uh, Bjork. And um, yeah, he finds out he has to go take out uh, revenge with uh, on Volnir, but it's going to cost him. Amaloth finds out that Volnir was overthrown by Harold of Norway. Damn, how are you going to get thrown off by Harold of Norway? Was he big shit? Um, so he was overthrown by Harold of Norway and lives in exile in Iceland, posing as a slave. Amaloth sneaks aboard a ship. Headed to Iceland. Now, if anyone looks at him, he does not look like a slave. I think that that was probably the biggest thing. I was like, this dude's huge um, and maybe a little bit too clean. But he does mark himself as a slave with a brand. Um, so, yeah, we, he's on his way. And that's where he bumps into Anya Taylor-Joy. who Anya's, like, taking care of this one lady at one point And then, like, immediately just kind of tosses her to the side, I guess. And then is like, oh. Scarzard, you look like you need some affection and maybe a love interest for later in the movie. Let me let me snuggle up to you. I d don't play me. I know that. I know what she was thinking from day one. Um, he's a he's a handsome cat, so you can't put that down, you know. But she straight up like gets that one lady that she was taking care of originally, <laughs> and just starts taking care of uh, Scarsgard almost immediately. Um, and her accent is thick in this. I was like, oh my goodness. Um, so on the ship, uh, he encounters a slave named Olga, which is um, Anya Taylor-Joy, who claims to be a sorceress upon arrival. Amaleth, Amaleth and the rest of the slaves 
are taken to Fjolnir's farm, where it is revealed that Gudrun, now Fjolnir's wife, has borne him a son, Gunnar. Or Gunnar. In the south, would be like, Gunnar! <laughs> um, I think it's Gunnar. One night, Amalath flees the farm and encounters a he-witch who facilitates a spiritual dialogue between Amalath and the late Himir, which was Willem Dafoe's character. And at this point, Willem Dafoe is going full Green Goblin. He's a goblin. You need to attack the heart. <laughs> like, he's going straight Green Goblin with it. And uh, I'm all for it. I, even a voiceover... 80-yard Willem Dafoe is still better than a lot of actors can do. And it is phenomenal what they got this guy doing. I was so floored about them just like, by the way, Willem Dafoe's head's right here in the same style of the goblin. And he, by the way, he's going to tell you to attack the heart. <laughs> you know, um, so <laughs> basically, uh, <laughs> I was like, this is crazy. Uh, and this like, he witch is like he's going straight native american with it uh with like the style of dancing and like spiritualism i guess and i'm not trying to make fun of them or anything like that but i mean he's like straight like channeling zoom calling willem dafoe like you know doing some straight like um like dancing with it as well and i was like this is this is probably honestly what it would be like if you were back in the day trying to talk to the dead through a he witch so points for uh, accuracy i guess <laughs> um so yeah and i actually did hear robert edgars did like an immense amount of uh research for this film so there's probably things that we're seeing on screen that are probably pretty accurate to what what had happened in the original story and uh if if anything was taking place during that time so anyways um so yeah he uh they zoom call willem dafoe and uh he facilitates, uh, the he which facilitates a spiritual dialogue between Amaloth and the late Himir, uh, revealed to have been murdered by Fjolnir. Of course, Fjolnir is just killing everybody. And they did some terrible things, too. I think they said, like, they plucked his eyes, his tongue, all that bullshit. Anyways, he tells Amaloth about Drugar. I, uh, I know I'm saying that wrong. The Drogar, or whatever. Uh, Drogon from Game of Thrones. <laughs> no, not the dragon. Drogar, a magical sword that can be drawn at night or at the gates of hell. Or the volcano in the third act, you know. Um, Amaloth enters a mound and obtains the blade after fighting the undead mound dweller. And I love how this is shot. I mean, it's this big motherfucking old ass knight who's like da da you taking my sword not up in here da da fucking whooping his ass and he's like a skeleton viking at the same time and alexander scores was like oh shit this dude's fucking not playing um you know he's like shit i was just playing <laughs> you know uh but he's like getting his ass kicked by this like viking king and then they kind of do a pullback after Skarsgård beats him down and you know slices his non-existent head off and um basically they pull back and they're like oh it was only just a dream you know sort of ish i guess but that's what robert eggers does best he like combines the surreal with the ultra real and does this nice little machination cocktail of it and so um yeah he amaloth uh i guess kills the dead viking again or whatever um but then he, you know, they flash back and it's actually, that didn't happen, I guess. I don't know. Um, the next day, Amaloth is selected to compete in a game of Katanir. It's kind of like this weird version of cricket, I guess, where they have like two sets of people, um, like like five, I, I guess they're slaves on both sides, like five slaves on the left, five slaves on the right, and they're got like these paddles and they try to hit the paddle to the ball and the ball has to hit like a single stick that's sitting at the back of each which is a stand-in for a goal i guess if the ball hits the hits the 
this goal, which is, you know, the stick. Um, so anyway, it looked kind of fun. It was kind of interesting to watch. I, I like seeing um, what a game would probably be like back in the day. And so Amaloth is going off in this. Like, there's just one guy that is on the other team. Everyone's got, like, their one guy. on. If you ever played sports before, there's always one guy that you, like, absolutely cannot stand. My buddy Haytham used to be that for me in soccer. He used to be the guy I couldn't get the ball past because I was uh, – he was always a – uh, attack, uh, you know, an attacker on in soccer. He was always a shooter, and I was always like a sweeper. I was always on defense, and so whenever I'd always try to go up against somebody, he was always that guy I had to go up against. But anyways, um, Amaloth has the one guy on the opposite team that he's trying to get up against. Um, not get up against, but tr try to face off against. And this other guy is the is played by the Mountain, the same actor who was in Game of Thrones. So he's a big motherfucker. For anyone that hasn't seen Game of Thrones, they have like this big ass night zombie guy called the Mountain, and he's like I I don't know seven foot, maybe two eighty or something like that. Fucking huge ass dude. And Skarsgård is already a big dude. So if you make Skarsgård look small, then this dude's fucking huge. Um, so anyways, they're playing a game of uh, Catechill or whatever, Catalanier or what I don't know what the fuck, the cricket game against another farm. Um, the game turns violent, and Gunner is almost killed after running into the game. This is the little 10-year-old boy that's like, that's it, I'm going to join the game. And fucking the mountain, which is on the other team, is already beating the shit out of uh, Amalath's team, like literally just taking a paddle and cracking them upside the head, cracking everybody upside the head, like literally just fighting people, almost like it's a game of hockey. And, um, you know, Amaloth's like, not up in here. So he's like, bam, fucking beats the shit out of the mountain guy. And um, I think he actually kills him because, uh, you know, uh, the mountain gets the ball and like beats uh, Gunner over the head, like punches him in the back of the head, this little boy. And, like one hit from the mountain and you'd probably be dead any normal person but this boy is just like knocked the fuck out so he's like down like this his head's down and the mountains lines up this ball right beside uh gunner's head and he's like oh fuck this little kid he's like bam and he's like getting ready to like hit the ball into the boy's head it'd be like taking a driver today and lining up a tee and then putting a kid's head right in front of it. It's essentially what the mountain was about to do. But right before he's about to bam, Amalas says bam and tackles the fuck out of him and then beats him, um, beats him to death, I believe. Um, and so he saves uh, Gunner, which Gunner is technically his, uh, I think it's his step or half brother. I'm not really sure what that would be, but he saves his uh, the little boy's life. And uh, so the game turns violent. Gunner is almost killed after running into the game by the mountain. But Amalaf saves him. Um, so as a reward, Fulnir's eldest and older, uh, an adult son, uh, Thoror, allows Amalaf to claim Olga as his wife. And th they've seen them kind of together trying to, uh, you know, not collude, but talk to each other and whatnot. So they know that uh, Amalaf has a thing for Olga. And... Uh, they know that, you know, obviously Olga is uh, beautiful. And so they're, they're like, all right, they definitely want to be together. Um, and they kind of give Amaloth like better treatment after this, the saving of Gunner. But they're still like, but you are still a slave. It's like, whoa. I was like, all right, well, you know, all these promotions, but you're not going to get out of being a slave because you can't. Wipe the stench of a slave off or something like that. I don't know. They had some weird reasoning for that. But anyways, um, fascinated by the world building at this point. Um, let's see what else. During the evening celebrations, Amaloth and Olga make love. They promise to work together to overcome Fjolnir and his men. Um... There is not much chemistry between Amaloth and Olga. I'm not sure if it's the age difference or what, because it really does feel like Anya Taylor-Joy could have been his daughter instead of his lover in this, which is just kind of feels like the age difference. Um, but also another thing that's weird, a lot of people know that in Big Little Lies, 
Nicole Kidman in Alexander Skarsgård. I think it was season two or was it season one? I don't remember which. I think it was actually season one. Um, that uh, they play husband and wife. And in this, they're playing mother and son. So you're like, what in the hell is going on around here? What in the incest is going on? <laughs> so um, not quite yet. Uh, so... Over the following nights, Amaloth kills several of Folnir's men. He's kind of like the the Batman, the revenge of the night. He, uh, you know, Amaloth is vengeance, and uh, he's going around killing a bunch of the the men that work for Folnir, um, and he's keeping the uh, the sword at bay, kind of keeping it under some like uh, grass or something like that, so they can't find it. Um, Olga. Um, mixes the men's food with psychedelic mushrooms. And this is where the trippy shit's going. Everyone's like, oh, God, I think I got the wrong batch of shrooms, man. <laughs> you know? And so this is when it gets fucking trippy. Um, I definitely think that if you had some fun substances with this movie, that would be pretty interesting to watch. But that was not me at this time. Um, so the ensuing chaos allows Amaloth to enter Folnir's house. He meets his mother, Gudrun, who reveals that she was originally taken into slavery and that Amala's conception was a result of rape. It is a very disturbing turn of events, which takes it away from, you know, the Lion King of it all, but still, like, you're like, oh my gosh. It's like, so was Ethan Hawke not a great guy? And it's left up to kind of interpretation of, you know, the, your own viewership of what you're watching, um, of whether you believe her or not. It's kind of like, well, did it makes you want to go back and rewatch that that first little bit of it. It's like, well, wasn't she screaming, kicking and screaming when Fonier was killing the husband, you know, killing Ethan Hawke and then taking her out of the house, um, you know, making her, her the new wife for him or something like that? So you're like, is she having some sort of Stockholm syndrome or, you know, what is going on right here? You know, what is the, the whole deal? So, um, you know, you know, as the we're in the perspective of Amaloth. So we're kind of like, well, maybe he didn't remember. Right. Maybe something, you know, maybe she's gaslighting him. Is she being real? What's going on? Um, and so she as she's telling him all this. And he's, you know, Skarsgård standing there looking like a fucking brute with a giant ass sword. Um, you know, Nicole Kidman's like slowly getting closer to him. And I was like, what is going on? And then she goes up to him and like open mouth kisses him. Her son in the movie, like she tries to seduce Amaloth while also revealing that she begged Folnir to kill uh, Arvin... Arvindal, who was Ethan Hawke, and Amaloth, and that she prefers Folnir and her new son. An enraged Amaloth leaves and kills Thorir, his uh, Folnir's oldest son, in his sleep, and steals his heart. So when this is happening, Nicole Kidman's like explaining what happened to her the night of the. Uh, uh, Ethan Hawke's death um, in the movie. Um, and you're like, is she telling the truth? Is she spilling the beans? Is she trying to stab him in the back? And on top of that, she wanted his death, let alone didn't even want him alive. And then on top of that, goes in for an open mouth kiss. It's like, bish! Come on, you know, I was like, what in the hell's going on? What in the seven hells is going on around here? I was like, oh my, ah, like, I was like, not ready. I don't think a lot of people were ready. Uh, slash Filmcast, one of the guys on there were talking about seeing the Northmen in theaters with their mom. Um, I would not recommend this as a family viewing. <laughs> I, I, you know, I don't think it's going to play as well. It's not a big old family fun time outing to go see the Northmen. Um, <laughs> it's just like, what the fuck is going on? What in the Robert Eggers is going on around this sheet? So 
After the discovery of Thorir's body, Gudrin reveals Amelath's true identity to Folnir. And it is kind of like half the time she's just like, is she trying to make all this up just so that she doesn't get killed if Amelath does become in power? Or is she just kind of using that as a trigger to, um, you know, put him off guard? Um, you know, is she trying to seduce every other king that comes in and says, I'm the new king, you know, so that she doesn't get killed? you know, kind of keep that status. So with the way that she's acting around Fulnir, she's always kind of like got his back in a Lady Macbeth kind of manner. And so it very much feels in, in that realm that maybe she was a little bit of the brains of the operation. You know, maybe we should kind of, um, you know, kind of look into that um, as a possibility. Like maybe she didn't like Amalith. Maybe Ethan Hawk wasn't a great king. You know, maybe there's things about the 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 deets, the details that we don't actually know. So, um, yeah, and on top of this, she's telling Fulnir that Amalith is the, the you know truly her son, um, and that he's coming to you know kill Fulnir. Fulnir threatens to kill Olga for assisting Amalath, but Amalath reveals himself and offers to trade Olga's life for Thorir's heart. And he's like on the top of the damn mountains in damn uh, Iceland or Ireland or wherever the hell. And he is just screaming from the top of his lungs. It's just like the most visceral, animalistic kind of scream that he could possibly do. And he's a fucking beast. He's going, ah! And he's like running at Fulnir. And they kind of do a realistic take of, instead of him just being a badass and literally taking out every single dude that comes at him, they do uh, subdue Amaloth, despite how big, how fucking big he is. Like, at one point, you're like, holy shit, he's got this. He's fucking ding, 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 like knocking these guys out. And then all of a sudden, um, the camera kind of pulls out and Fulnir is still like 20, 20 yards away. And these guys are just beating the shit out of Amaloth. You're like, holy shit, they're not, uh, he's not, um, you know, breaking through the first, you know, the wall like you thought he would be. He's not climbing the wall like he was in the first act and he doesn't have his boys around him, the rest of the Vikings to help him. So he's kind of getting his ass kicked. Um, so they kind of detain him. So, uh, yeah, after that action scene, you're like, I don't know where this is going all, all the time. You know, I, the predictability was kind of pulling back around. I was like, oh, shit, maybe Fjolnir is going to win. I was like, please don't let him win. Um, then again, you know, Skarsgård Amalot's not a great guy in this either. So he's like, I don't know if I want that guy to win either. Anyways, um, after a severe beating, um, Amalot is uh, released. Uh, so he's, he's hung, he's strung up with a rope and kind of in like a jesus symbol in a way kind of i don't know if they would kind of maybe i i saw religious elements of it but i don't know if they would want you to like a sacrifice kind of thing um he is the shit's beaten out of him and they basically want thorier's um heart and um you know so that they can do a proper burial and so, after a severe beating, Amaloth is released by his restraints by a flock of ravens. It's like we see these ravens start to peck on this, um, on the, uh, on the rope that is hanging Amaloth up, and it's like, oh shit, are they gonna peck his eyes out or are they going to save him? Thank goodness. Just like in the other films of Robert Eggers, you never know what the animals are going to do. Whether you got Black Phillip's black ass or you got uh, the lighthouse with the crazy crows um, and making Robert Pattinson go crazy on that one. So thank goodness I'd say the majority of the animals are on Amala's side, despite that one dog that was like, hey, he's over here. He's over here. <laughs> you know, that was a little bit early in the movie. But uh, the animals are always interesting to watch in the Eggers films. And so... The uh, the crows release the ravens release him. Um, Olga rescues Amaloth from the farm, and the two escape. Um, I I think they kind of yada yada the the funeral for Thorir's body. Um, uh, they basically do like this massive ceremony for Thorir, where Falnir 
Fulnir gets naked for it, slices a horse's head off. They sacrifice Thorir's uh, wife by stabbing her to death and putting her beside the corpse of Thorir. Uh, Thorir. And this is all while uh, Amaloth is getting uh, is escaping uh, by the ravens and stuff like that. So you're like, oh my Jesus, this is crazy. Um, but the biggest thing that I think everyone said that just was complete bullshit um, was the fact that Anya Taylor-Joy picked up Alexander Skarsgård, Amaloth's character, and laid him over top of a horse and escaped with him. Like, how could anybody that's her size pick up a guy of that size? I don't, I don't think two men could pick up uh alexander skarsgård's body and throw him over a horse let alone anya taylor joy she would need like four anya taylor joys to, to pick up uh alexander skarsgård but anyways we just have to believe that he got on a horse with uh with her because he's like hanging off he's not even like riding it properly he's like hanging off and so um yeah so uh so yeah he he the the trade was Olga's life for Thorir's heart. Um, so Olga rescues Amaloth from the farm, and the two escape, planning to go to Amaloth's uh, relatives in Orkney. Departing Iceland by boat, um, Amaloth has a vision and discovers that Olga is pregnant with twins, and. I think throughout the movie we're seeing flashes of this image and we're not really sure what's going on um, until then. Oh, dang, that was a lot of lightning. Um, it's raining outside, kind of giving us a nice uh, uh, mood mood setting, I guess. Anyways, uh, discovers that Olga is pregnant with twins, one of whom will become the Maiden King, prophesied by Ceres. Um, fearing that his children will never be safe, Amaloth decides to finally kill his uncle, and he jumps overboard despite Olga's pleas for him to remain with her. And she has some sort of psychic uh, wind-bending powers, air-bending powers. She's some sort of airbender. And she's like, oh, God, oh, God. You know, and um, the the Viking guys on the boat are kind of holding her in to make sure she doesn't jump off the boat to, to get... Amaloth, um, and he's like, uh, this is kind of weird and problematic, but okay. And then she turns around and is like, oh, that's it. And then like the winds go with her direction or something like that. And then that's where, um, the end of August story is right there. <laughs> um, so yeah, there are flashes to this family tree of seeing, you know, the king and the twins and the Olga of it all. Um, you know, visually you don't understand what's going on until this scene. Um, back at the farm, Amaloth frees the slaves and kills most of Folnir's men like a freaking beast. Um, while searching for Folnir, Amaloth is attacked by Gudrun and kills her. It's like this big showdown in the hut, and she's like charging him, like, ah, like gonna kill her son. And he's like, detained, being stabbed. And like, as soon as she's stabbed, she's like, thank you so on top of that we have to wonder why she was i guess maybe not tortured or something like that i'm trying to figure out why she um thanked him at the end maybe for freeing her from this terrible life i guess i don't know she did not seem like a good character to be honest but anyways i digress he kills gudrun gunner immediately attacks Amaloth in the back. He jumps on Amaloth, Alexander Skarsgård, this little kid, jumps on Alexander Skarsgård. Gunner is like stabbing him repeatedly. He's like, stab, 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 stab. He's like, ah, 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 ah. You know, it's like, oh shit, is he going to fucking go down from the little kid that he didn't even see coming? Um, and I completely forgot about Gunner. I was like, oh shit, it's kind of ironic how the kid's now going to kill him and considering he just saved his life not too long ago. Um, and, uh, he's stabbing him repeatedly in the back before Amaloth accidentally kills him. Eh, I don't know if it's an accident. He kind of just slings him off and the sword just kind of just, you know, we don't exactly see what happens to Gunner, but we just kind of see a little slice 
and I slice and dice, and I think it was over. Um, but it was it was more just like shaking him off and having the knife kind of go in him at the same time, I guess. But anyways, Fonir discovering his wife and son are dead. It's so intense. He's like, just walks in there, uh, in the hut that Amaloth is in. He's, he's just standing there, Amaloth, with this fucking massive sword, the Gruder or whatever the sword's called, and uh, Fonir picks up dead Nicole Kidman slings him over her over his back and then picks up his son Gunner throws him on the other side of his back and then says meet me at the volcano aka the gates of hell so uh okay you know he tells Amla to meet him at the gates of hell the volcano Hecla to resolve the conflict via home gang um, at the volcano, Amlath and Volnir engage in a fierce sword fight. I love the the cinematography here. It's one of the best uh, shots of the movie. I mean, the whole movie is beautiful to look at, but, uh, you know, with the smoke, got the whole volcano of it all. We're going to go fight in the middle of a volcano like it's fucking Revenge of the Sith. Of course, everyone's kind of comparing it to it because, I mean, how often are you fighting in the middle of a volcano? But, um... Yeah, you know, Robert Eggers said, fuck it, I want to do Revenge of the Sith, but Volnir style. <laughs> you know, so um um it was it was an immense battle multiple times. I thought Amaloth was going down. You just see him like he's he looks physically exhausted at one point because he's like ding 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 ding. Like he's straight blocking everything, hit him with a shing, hit him with a shim, and then um you know, it looks like multiple times Fjolnir is going to win. You know, they, they had us in the that, that first half, but that second half came back and, you know, he comes and brings Gruder, says, Skrr! and gets that head. At the volcano, Amaloth and Fjolnir engage in a fierce fight, sword fight. Fjolnir is decapitated, but it's shown from like a profile view. So all you see is like Fjolnir's uh, sword kind of going through this way and you can't really tell if it's pierced Amaloth at all but you see that fucking the head of uh, Fulnir is completely scooped off and you just see his body go down knees psh, go to side and then you're like standing there watching Amaloth you're like oh shit and then you realize he goes down too and falls back you're like oh shit Fulnir fucking killed him too so Fonir is decapitated immediately, but Amaloth is fatally wounded. As Amaloth lies dying, he has a future vision of Olga embracing their twin children before a Valkyrie appears to carry him to Valhalla. I love the visualization of going to Valhalla. And of course, debatably, if he deserves to go to Valhalla or whatever heaven is in this, you know, maybe that's up to another podcast. Um, I think it's what we're supposed to interpret what he thinks he should go to, not exactly what he is going to, um, because he is kind of a terrible person that's, that's done a lot of terrible things most of his life. Um, and, you know, the whole thing about revenge, you know, just throws dirt on both sides of the party. So I can kind of see how people would say that Amaloth is a problematic character. Um, but I mean, it, I think it's boring in most movies to say that, you know, this guy is immensely good and all he does is good and he gets to live a happily ever after. I mean, some stories just have to come to a goddamn end. And I think that Robert Eggers landed this fucking plane like a fucking genius. Um, this is one of my favorite movies of the year. Obviously I haven't seen tons of movies this year. I think like uh, obviously Sonic 2 is something I've seen, so I obviously like it better than Sonic 2, but um, I'm trying to think of any other movies that kind of come compared to this right off the top of my head, but as of right now, I think The Northman might be my favorite movie. Oh, Batman obviously came out. Um, it's probably right under the Batman just because it's fucking Batman, um, but it's probably my second favorite movie this year, but it's probably my number one original movie this year you know a lot of things are based a lot of content is based off of franchises now so having this type of uh, uh 
you know, this type of production behind a movie that's not a big franchise film is very rare. And uh, I appreciate it, you know, being made. So be sure to check out The Northman if you have not seen it already. I kind of did some pretty heavy spoilers in that. So understand if you're like, eh, it's not for me or it is for me. Um, if you did see it, let, let me know. Um, uh, let me see. The English got Old Norse, Old East Slavic. Yeah, a lot of different types of languages going on in this as well i would honestly want to rewatch this with the caption so i understood what the fuck was going on half the time <laughs> but um yeah i think this is probably my number one original movie of the year so far um and yeah let me know what you thought about the northman let me know what you thought about the review um please rate us five stars on um, apple itunes or whatever podcast player you're listening to thumbs up on youtube comment sections all available so Tell me what you thought about it. Tell me what you thought about the review. And, uh, yeah, take it easy. Be sure to go to patreon.com slash podcast for the full review of The Northman and the full podcast, um, uh, full library of other podcasts as well. Thank you, and take it easy. I love Angel. <laughs>